Good morning, church. All right, thank you. Thank you. I got a personal greeting. Well, beautiful day. Beautiful day to come together, and and, uh, I hope that we can just spend this next 40, 45 minutes, whatever it's going to be, just with our minds focused on the Lord. Uh, It's a big world out there, isn't it? Lots of stuff going on in our individual lives, in the world we live in. Uh, We're patiently waiting and occupying until the Lord returns. So with that said, um, I have a few announcements, but before I do that, just check to make sure your cell phones are off, and if you have Bibles or a Bible app of sorts, you can uh, get to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John, 6th chapter, New Testament, 4th Gospel, 6th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, you came without one, the guys in the back have them and are standing at the ready. If you don't need a Bible, they get bored back there. They don't have anything else to do. So they're just waiting to hand you a Bible. If you need one, put your hand way up in the air and they'll bring a Bible to you. Those of you that have them, again, uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and we'll start there in the first verse. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful and we do recognize that as they rejected you, so they will reject us. Lord, help us not to take that personally, Lord, just to know that this is just a fulfillment of what you have said, Lord. Um, We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of your word and your life. And we understand, Lord, that people that still live in the dark are just jealous and envious of the light. And yet they won't come to the light themselves so that they can have life. And that's not our fault, Lord. And we pray and we know that you don't want anyone to perish. And that you invite them to come just as we have come. Drawn by you. To come and to worship you. And to lay down our lives. To be your disciples. So that we may truly live. Lord, we thank you for what we're going to learn ahead of time today about you and about ourselves and about eternity. Lord, so just open your word to us. Open our eyes so we could see wondrous things from your word. Help us to, to mine the depths of, your, of the knowledge and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And feed our souls, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we are in John chapter 6, and those of you that have been coming, each, each time we gather, I ask the same question, what is the gospel of John about? Why did John write it? He wrote it so that we might believe, and believing have life, so that we might believe. I'm going to make sure we get both of those parts in, and by believing, we have life in his name. And, and today, as we talk about food, <laughs> anybody like food? Food is a huge part. Of our lives, isn't it? Food is, there's so many books and magazines about food. There's so much discussion of of where our food comes from and and, and diets and all these things. We have these huge discussions about food. We discuss world hunger, problems with lack of food in other areas. Uh, When I became a pastor, I've never eaten out so much as when I became, since I became a pastor, always going to lunch and, and meeting over food. And we do that socially, culturally. Food is a huge part of the world we live in. And God sort of made it that way, didn't he? It's, it, he could have designed us any way he wanted. But he designed us to need daily bread. To need food on a daily, that our, we eat and it satisfies for a time, but then we become hungry again. And we have to eat again. 
And there he puts man in the garden, and he puts in the garden all the herbs for food. And the trees who had, that had fruit, and the fruit was beautiful to look at and, and tasty too. I mean, God could have made fruit that was ugly and tasted bad. And eating would have been a chore. But he made it so that we would enjoy it. Be able, it would taste good, and we'd have a desire to do it. And that's, none of that is by coincidence. None of that was like God didn't just say, you know, maybe I'll try this. All of it was very purposeful. You know, I drive down the highway. If you've driven down, up or down 95, you get off at any rest stop, and it's like a carbon copy of the last rest stop. You know, there's Lowe's or Home Depot, and there's the Chinese food place, and there's a Food Lion or Harris Teeter. And, and it just, do any of you stop and think about how many cities there are in the country? And every city along the highway, there is the same, there's all these grocery stores. We just, we just, we're getting a, um, oh, what's it called? Um, not cut Wegmans, Wegmans, that is coming to, to Charlottesville. That, they put the super in supermarket. I mean, that place is gigantic. And I just think about where, I mean, the, the amount of food is just mind-boggling, isn't it? The amount of restaurants. So I did a little research uh, before coming today, and, and here's what I found out. Because it's funny, because we got this, this thing about big food, right? We, we supersize it and all that stuff, and big gulps. But that's just, the, that's just scratching the surface. Every so often you see someone in the news that breaks a giant food record. Have you seen those? Like, I got one for, for uh, carnivores and for vegetarians, just so everybody would feel satisfied. There's a group in, let me see, where were they? They were in a Black Bear Casino Resort in Carleton, Minnesota. They made, they broke the record for the world's biggest ever ham, uh, hamburger in history. The hamburger was... 2,014 pounds. It was 10 feet wide, topped with 60 pounds of bacon, 50 pounds of lettuce, 50 pounds of onions, and 40 pounds of cheese, and it took a construction crane to flip the patty over. Got to make sure it's cooked on both sides. I wonder how they marinated that in the fridge. Well, for the vegetarians, the Lebanese chefs were celebrating victory over Israel in the form of the largest bowl of hummus ever made. The <laughs> lar- largest bowl of hummus, 10 tons of hummus. I don't know how many cans of garbanzo beans that probably all that Wegmans has and more. So we have this fascination with food. If you've ever been on a cruise, da- the daily food consumption on the Grand Princess cruise ship, are you ready? 200 pounds of salt. That's daily. 960 pounds of bananas. 322 pounds of carrots. 852 pounds of shellfish. 1,400 uh, uh, pounds of, of poultry. 104 pounds of smoked salmon. 3,900 3, muffins. 390 pounds of bacon. 551 pounds of butter and margarine. And this final thing here, a whole county in Iowa raises all its cattle just to sell to Carnival Cruise Lines. Isn't that amazing? And yet, and here's the thing, for all of this food and all of our obsession with food, there is still a hunger in humankind that is not satisfied by food. But when Jesus Christ wants to talk about satisfaction and hunger, 
he talks about these things in a way we understand. We understand food, don't we? Say, somebody say, amen. We get food. And so Jesus, you know, as he talks about spiritual things, he talks to people on a natural level. To, you know, he talks to the woman at the well about, about water, about a fountain. And she asks him, well, where, you know, how can you draw out this water? You don't, you, don't, you don't have a bucket. The well's too deep. And he's not talking about water, water. He's talking about this spiritual water, spiritual thirst. And so here we have the, 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 the account. I don't like to use the word story because story sounds like it's made up. So I use the word the account of the feeding of the 5,000. And this is especially important from what I read and, and I, I suppose it's true, I don't, haven't confirmed it myself, but I haven't thought of anything that contradicts it. This is the only uh, miracle that is accounted for in all four Gospels. Now, of course, other than the resurrection. But this is the only uh, It's in all four Gospels. And every miracle that Jesus does, especially in the Gospel of John, is, becomes a teaching point. Because he's going to talk to them about the fact that he is the bread of life. He is, as a matter of fact, I just, I'll read this quickly to you. In, in the, later in the chapter, in verse 33, Jesus talking about himself. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is the solution to world hunger. Isn't he? Because there's a hunger for, Mother Teresa said, there's a hunger much deeper than bread. There's a hunger for love. And that's a harder one to satisfy. There's a, hunger for, there's a hunger for forgiveness. There's a hunger for grace. And there's a hunger for life. And these are the deeper needs. The food, Jesus said, they, your, your fathers, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But I'm coming to tell you that when you feed on me, when I am what, it, you know, we become, the, the old saying is, you are what you eat, Right? And we know that that's true. We eat it, we take it in, it becomes part of it. It's broken down in our stomachs. The nutrients is distributed throughout our body. becomes part of what feeds our body. There, there's another saying, you are what you worship. Did you know that's true? You become what you worship. And if you worship empty things, guess what you become? Empty. But if you worship the truth, and the way, and the life, then you have life. And so that's what's behind so we're really, the, the feeding of the 5,000 is just the introduction. The chapter is long, but we won't have time to go through it all. So we'll just look basically at the introduction, the, the miracle itself, where, where the, the disciples are faced with an overwhelming catering need. 5,000, imagine 5,000. I've learned not to, to, to spring guests on Helga. You know, hey, Helga, by the way, 20 guys from church are coming for lunch today. You know, ah. I learned better. But this is 5,000, well, it's actually more than 5,000 people show up for dinner with Jesus and his disciples. And this creates a huge catering problem for them. So we'll see uh, how they solve this and, and how Jesus uh, tests them in it and, and what we have to take away from this as we go through. So chapter 6, Gospel of John, verse 1, begins after these things, the things that we've already read and some things that haven't been written by John. Remember, not everything is recorded here. Jesus has been healing people he's been teaching them all day he saw that they were like sheep not having a shepherd and he had compassion on them and he sat down and he entertained them with juggling and unicycle tricks no he says he sat down and he taught them the result of his compassion for people that were like sheep without a shepherd was to sit down and teach them 
And I want you to know that that was an integral part of, of the beginnings of this ministry right here. That was, that's one of my life verses. When I saw people, that they were just lost and confused. God's instructions were clear. It's just sit down and teach them. Like sheep. You know, just feeding them from the word. So that was going on. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. Uh, the disciples had just returned from a ministry outing, short-term mission trip. And they were getting together with Jesus to talk about what they had done and taught and, and participated in. So they, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. It's beautiful. It's absolutely breathtaking. Then a great multitude followed him. And we know it surely was a great multitude. It was more than 5,000 people. 5,000 was just the number of men, not including the women and children. And why did they follow him? The Bible tells us because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. This was not Obamacare. This was Messiah care. That's, they just saw the signs that he was healing people that were sick. And, and, and they want, you know, there's, we, people often focus on the temporary. And there are still those that chase after Jesus just for the signs that he does. I mean, if all my kids wanted for me was, was more, 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 just give me, give me, give me, I would begin to, want, begin to wonder whether they really loved me or just what I could do for them. And this is what the book of Job is about. Job, can you love me for who I am? And not just for what I do for you. And the answer from Job was yes. And that's another story. But they were following. Be careful that you just follow for the signs that Jesus is performing. He's not just there to meet all of your needs. That makes you God and him your servant. He's God and you're his servant. So we get it backwards. So this whole multitude is coming and following him. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Again, just longing to get some time away with them. It was so busy. Another gospel tells us that people were coming and going all the time. They didn't have time to eat themselves. It was so busy. So they had to kind of find a place to go and to to be alone together to to talk and process. Verse 4 says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Man, that almost seems cruel, doesn't it? I mean, you know, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, we know it's not cruel. Tests are really important in your life. And sometimes God will orchestrate an overwhelming circumstance to test you. Not so that he can know what's in your heart, but so that you can know what's in your heart. You see, tests, this really, really wasn't, this is like a one-question pop quiz, isn't it, for Philip? Like, there's one question on the test, and, and it's just, and he wasn't expecting, he couldn't be, stu- well, maybe he was studying because he's walking with Jesus. He'd see Jesus turn water into wine. He'd seen him from a distance speak about healing to the nobleman's son, and, and he was healed at the very hour Jesus said it. He's watched all this, and now there's this tremendous ministry need. I just got this in the mail. I don't know if you guys can see this. I got this from a local uh, church that's starting a new ministry. It says, are your ministry needs too big to ignore? And, and so there's a, a thing that they're doing in conjunction with that. And Philip's looking at the need, you know. And that's so often what we look. We look at the need. You know, the Savior is right there. Jesus is right there. But our first inclination is to look at the need. And it's overwhelming. It's absolutely it's absolutely overwhelming. So the test 
for Philip and for the disciples, it's going to reveal about how they think. It's going to reveal about what they understand. It's not meant to destroy them, but to disciple them. You know that about the tests of God, right? They're not meant to destroy you. They're not meant to discourage you. They're meant to teach you. And that's what Jesus, Jesus already knows exactly what he's going to do. But he asked this question of Philip, what shall, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Philip's gears start to chug. They'd already offered some suggestions. Jesus, why don't you see, it's getting late. If they've been there all day teaching and learning and, and it's getting late and it's getting dark and food lines closed or whatever it is. There's no food. They're out, you know, they're up on a mountain and there's no grocery store nearby. And so the disciples suggestion, hey, send them away. <laughs> Let them go find something to eat. Not Jesus' suggestion. That's their suggestion. So Philip begins to process this. Where shall we buy bread? I love that. He didn't say where shall you buy bread or where can I get some bread. He knows where he's going to get it. Where can we buy bread that these may eat? So Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Hey, Jesus, even if we did a fundraiser right now, when, I mean, 200 denarii is eight months of your salary in that day. Eight months, who's carrying around in their tunic eight months' salary? Even if they pooled all their resources, it wouldn't be enough that all of these people would even have so, a little bit to eat. So Philip is saying the need is so great and our resources are so small. Ah, Philip, that's good. That's what you're supposed to be recognizing. Right? That's what you're supposed to be recognizing. You see, here's, here's the thing that I have and continue to learn as in ministry and in life. There are some things. I love when John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. And I have learned that there are ministry needs in, in life in Palmyra are overwhelming, aren't they? And as a pastor, as, as a person, as a Christian, in your family or in your neighborhood or in this fellowship, we can become so overwhelmed with the ginormous need, people's emotional needs, people's relational needs, people's ministry needs. They can become overwhelming. And if I begin to think that somehow I'm supposed to meet those needs, of, of and through my own strength and my own abilities, I can quickly get burnt out. You guys know the statistics. Pastoral burnout is huge. The needs are real, aren't they? The needs of these people, they had a real hunger. And people today have a real hunger. And I'm one man. And I don't have the resources to meet every person's individual. Even together, we don't have the resources to meet every person's. We can't. Matter of fact, I, I printed out some some. Some other verses, because here's what I want us to know as a church. Sometimes we, th- we think it's all up to us, right, to save the world. But we've got our role in it, and we're going to see that in this passage. But Jesus said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't, you can't meet anybody's need apart from him. Not their real need. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I like this one. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Paul had asked the question, and who is sufficient for these things? And now he's answering that question. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, 
who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I'm going to read that in a different translation to make it more understandable. We dare to say these things, these good things about ourselves, only because of our great trust in God through Christ. That he will help us to be true to what we say. And not because we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success comes from God. Somebody say amen to that. Our only power and success comes from God. He is the one who has helped us tell others about his new agreement to save them. We do not tell them that they must obey every law of God or die. But we tell them there is life for them from the Holy Spirit. The old way, trying to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives them life. So our sufficiency, you know, we don't say, look how many we baptized. Look how big the building is that we're building. No, without God, without Christ, we can't do anything. This ministry has been built on on the Word of God, the power of God, the life of God. Every day when I get up here to preach, I say, Lord, I don't want to say anything in and of myself. I want everything I I say to pass through the grid of of your spirit. I I don't want to dare do anything in ministry. Even in in the Bible, even the deacons had to be filled with the spirit to serve tables. To be waiters and waitresses, they had to be filled with the spirit. Because apart from, from him, really, what can we do? There's nothing we can do. And this is what Philip and the disciples are supposed to learn. That they are not in charge of manufacture, but distribution. And we'll see that as we go through. So where are we going to, so right on the human level, thinking, oh, 200 denarii or eight months wages would be too small. I mean, then nobody, it wouldn't be enough for just maybe a crumb for everybody. Now, this is great. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, we remember him from back earlier in in John chapter 1, said to him, Jesus, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So even this, this feeling of despair and, and hopelessness, even though they have some resources. Now, this is a great thing, and, and many people have, have speculated about this kid. We don't know how did they, they find him. You know, They've got a crowd, a huge crowd of people, and they find a kid whose mom packed him a lunch and sent him out the door to go hear this rabbi teach. And he's got these five little barley lo- five barley biscuits, and barley was an inferior loaf. It's not... Not very good bread. It's just an inferior, uh, lesser quality. And he had five of them. Now, I don't, maybe he's a hungry little boy. Maybe his mom said, you know, eat a few now and then a few later. We don't know. And I, and I was trying to picture, you know, how did they wrangle him through the crowd to Jesus? Does, does Andrew have his arm behind his back? You know, come on, kid. You know, give us your lunch. You know, whatever it is that, that how they, because the kid didn't know what was going on. You know, he's just there with his lunch. He has no idea. When he left the house in the morning, no idea how significant that that, that would be. And how Jesus would take his, his small resource and use it in such a tremendous way. So we don't know. The sto- I want to see the, the tape of that in heaven. You know, how they convinced the kid to give up his lunch. You ever try to convince a kid to give up their lunch? Well, maybe just because it was it's five little loaves and two little anchovies. I mean, it's nothing. You know, there's 5,000 men that are going to be fed. with five. That's 1,000 guys per biscuit. Now, we ate some food yesterday morning, guys. Let me tell you what. We ate some food. Now imagine if you showed up for breakfast, 80 guys, and we said, well, there's just a couple of little biscuits. Go ahead and, Phil, get a knife. We're going to divide it up equally among us. It'd be like, you know, how, how do you split a, a little biscuit between 1,000 guys? It's like, I mean, this is, 
the odds are over. It's ridiculous. This, this is ridiculous. But he says, Here, here's, we, we got this kid. Whose idea was that? I mean, so Jesus he already knew what he was going to do. He said, make the people sit down. He's so gentle. I just, all right, he's just kind of shaking his head. Right, just make the people sit down. And I like what the next verse says. Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. And as the people are sitting in groups, I just imagine them like sheep, right? There they are, sitting in this green grass together. It's like a picnic, but they're, they're like sheep. And he's now has the, he's led them beside still waters. He's made them lie down in green pastures. Because Jesus is going to identify himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's going to tell Peter, you know, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. So the people are all sitting in the grass. Now, he doesn't say, all right, make the people line up so they all have to come directly to me. You know, just right by, and I'm going to feed every one of them personally and individually. He doesn't say that. He has them sit down in groups, and then look what he does. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Again, a huge catering need. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. How did the miracle work? I mean, how, how did it, when you were standing there watching, I mean, it's like Jesus is just creating bread. He's just... He breaks it, and there's more. And it just keeps coming and keeps coming, like the oil in the Old Testament when they had the, the vessels that were empty. And as long as there were more empty vessels, the oil would keep coming. As soon as they used up the last vessel, the oil ceased. So as long as people were still hungry, there was still more for them to eat. And they were all filled. Guess who one of those pre- people that was filled was? That little lad. He, all, all he had was five and two, five loaves, two fish. And he ate enough. Everybody was stuffed, man. They're all going, oh, I couldn't eat another bite. I mean, they gorged themselves, literally, on on what Jesus was providing for them. It's awesome, an awesome miracle. The only other miracle like it is the uh, turning water into wine. He creates food. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. He creates food to feed people. And, And I love it. He chooses to use the disciples, to distribute it. Anybody ever been used by God to distribute his word, to distribute his grace, to distribute his forgiveness? It is, he doesn't have to. You know, the Bible says we have this treasure, treasure in earthen vessels. That's all we are. If at the end of the day you want to take credit for something, all you take credit for is I am a, I'm a broken pot. I'm an empty vessel. But he puts, I'm an empty vessel that God has put his treasure in. So that the excellence of the power that, that comes from my life or from this ministry or from my you know, evangelistic efforts in the community, whatever it is, from all that, that people would not look at me and say, wow, what a beautiful vessel. See, the vessel is not meant to bring glory to itself, is it? If you, if you get beautiful flowers, you want a plain vase to put them in. Why? So that the flowers are the ones that, that's what people notice. You don't put the flowers in your house and people come and go, man, that is a beautiful vase. A beautiful pot. Because you don't want people to notice that. If you have a picture, you don't want people to notice the frame. The frame should sort of disappear. The picture is the focal point. And so God, he, he gives, he puts his treasure in earthen vessels. So that the excellence of the power is clearly of him. 
and not of us. And may we never do anything or maybe never become something that we think that we have now all these resources. We don't know. We don't need Jesus anymore. See, he is manufacturing, right? And we are distributing. And we have to keep that straight as a church, don't we, folks? Wow, we got lots of stuff going. Jesus, help us. <laughs> lots of stuff. But hey, you know, there's a reason this is in four Gospels. There's a, with the church, we have got to get this right. Because if we get this right, our prayer meetings grow. If we get this right, our, our prayer, personal prayer life grows. Because so often we go, well, I can handle that. We can handle that. Well, we'll just figure it out. We'll have a committee. They didn't have a food distribution committee. So, okay, we've got to get a committee. We've got to figure out how we're going to do this. Give us a few minutes. We've got we to gotta meet. We've got to vote on this. Jesus said, have them sit down and let me take care of it. You just remember, you come to me. I provide what you give. You don't change it along the way. You just give it to them as I gave it to you. And that is, I think that's a great model for ministry, don't you? They don't have to, you know, they can present it. They can, you know, kind of lob it in or they can, you know, how you present it is up to you, you know. But make sure it's, it's, it's what Jesus gave you. So he, he, 5,000 people, and there was so much that they, all they wanted, they were gorged. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so nothing is lost. Gather everything. There was leftovers from five loaves and two fish. There was more than enough for everybody's need to be filled. You know, the Bible tells us that God's mercy is new every morning. You think that somehow in your life you've exhausted God's grace. You can't. I don't know what you've done or where you've been or how heinous a sinner you were or are right now. I don't know. God can't use me. God has no interest in me. He doesn't have enough love for me. My parents didn't love me. My husband doesn't love me. My kids don't love me. Jesus Christ loves you. You cannot exhaust his resources of love toward you. And you, you blew it yesterday, you're going to blow it tomorrow, you're going to blow it two weeks from now, you're going to blow it the rest of your life. You cannot exhaust God's mercy for you or his grace for you. You, you, can, you just can't. You just can't. Now that doesn't mean you should try. Please don't. If you do, then you've missed the point. God's grace is for those that stumble, not for those that jump. They gathered them up, and look how many baskets, verse 13, were filled. Twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And again, I want to look at two people before we close. I want to look at the disciples, because how many baskets? How many disciples? Because you think in ministry, well, if I give, if I participate in ministry, then what's going to be left for me? I'm going to give all this time and all this effort and all this energy into ministry, and I'm going to suffer. No, you won't. No, you won't. The little lad, he said, what, you know, they said, what are these among so many? You say, I don't have much to offer. Well, then don't offer much, but offer what you have. Because we easily write it off, well, I'm not educated. I, don't, I can't bring my education to the Lord. I can't bring, you know, my financial resources to the Lord. I, I, I'm, I don't have much, you know. I, I, you have you. The greatest ability, as they say, is what? Availability. The greatest ability is availability. And you you lay, you present your body, Paul said, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. That's your reasonable service.
So the little lad brought his little bit. And what you bring, you have no idea how God can use that. So instead of, sometimes we think that little is insignificant. That little, well, you know, other people bring so much. Look, whatever it is, you bring it. And you, here's what you find. Here's what every servant of God finds. Here's what every servant of Jesus Christ finds. That they think they're going to get busted and hurt and, and, you know, emptied in ministry. But you find out that actually you get filled. I can't explain it. Other than you've got to try it. You've got to experience it for yourself. There is no, when, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden together. Now listen, husbands and wives, this is really important. Marriage. This is my theory. You can read it yourself. You can disagree with me. That's fine. But this is what I've seen biblically and practically in our own lives. Is that he put Adam in the garden. He said, you've got to work it, till it. And then he says, not good for man to be alone. And he gave him a helper. So that they could serve God, work in the garden together. The garden of the world. And I think there is no greater endeavor for a husband and a wife than to serve God together in some type. Now, it doesn't mean formal ministry, full-time paid, got to leave and go to Africa for missions. I'm just talking about saying, hey, we as a couple, we are going to serve the Lord together. We're going to contribute to the the kingdom, to the body of Christ. We're going to do this. It is so, and then the kids come along. Now, the kids are involved in ministry. And involved, and it's so great because it gets the focus of the family off of us. Now we're spending time together as a family, but we're spending that time serving the Lord together. And then there's a place and a time for family. We, we have that. We've had to really be diligent to institute and make sure we have time to come separate with Jesus just as a family. But it's also, but both, both sides are true. It's also extremely beneficial for your soul and your spirit to serve the Lord together. And I, and I think that that's, you bring these things to him. The, the disciples said, well, if we just give out all the time, what's going to be left for us? Plenty. A whole basket full of fragments. So therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men who had seen the, uh, the sign that Jesus did said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Another reference to, to Deuteronomy 18. They saw the miracle. And they said, this is, this is this guy that was talked about in the Old Testament. Therefore, when Jesus, verse 15, perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. He, he wasn't into being an earthly king. His kingdom is not of this world. And, so, and this is often why people want to, hey, I'll make him Lord of my life because of what he does for me. You make him Lord of your life because he is the living God risen from the dead that's why he's the lord of your life not because of what he does for you that's what they want we need a king like this who can heal us and feed us and it's true we do need that kind of king in our in our lives man so we'll pick up here next week um we'll end there and we'll see again i want to encourage you uh the story uh, this is just one part of the rest of this truth that jesus is teaching it gets much more intense uh, as as he starts to teach them about this whole thing was about him he is the bread that was broken he turned water into wine and he makes bread multiplies bread the water uh, the wine and the bread the, the elements of communion and so i want to encourage you if at all possible reschedule your vacation be here next sunday I don't know what, just try, so you can follow it all through. You can always listen online, but there's just nothing like being here, the Spirit of God here to, 
to um, affirm and confirm the word into your hearts. Amen? So what we learned today, our sufficiency is not of ourselves, is it, church? So where do we go? Where's the source? The source is Jesus. And so we go to him. It's his word, not my opinion. I, I don't have the right to give out my opinion. And Phil, if you would come on up and bring your worship team up. Um, we, we, when a person asks you for advice, well, here's what I think. No, no, no. Here's what Jesus said. Well, they might not like that, right? It's not up to you. You're not the, you're not the manufacturer. You're just in the distribution. 